Hi, everybody. This is Tyler, and welcome back to Fried Squirms. Oh, also, I just cut you off. You were going to say you were Danny. Yeah, I'm <laughs> part of the time I'm Danny. <laughs> uh, we're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies, and all our plans worked out. And as we mentioned last episode, we, in fact, have a special guest back in the studio with us. Studio, my extra bedroom, <laughs> is Donnie. Hey. When was the last time you were on? Was it The Gate? It was Tombs of the Blind Dead. Oh, to- Tombs of the Blind Dead. That's yeah. right. That was fun. That, that was, was awesome, fun. man. Have you guys seen any of the other ones since then? Or? Not yet. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get around to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back, man. This should be a fun time, but we're going to start off like we always do since we're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. We're getting stoned right now. And uh, ran into one of the downsides of our state going fully recreational today. And, like, all our shops are pretty much out of weed. I'm walking into places and just seeing fucking bare walls and shit. I know. I'm like, what's going on? But it's both a, a blessing and a curse, I suppose, if you want to call it that. So I brought the Jays today because I was the one to find Jays oh, today. It's awesome. So we got some Tropicana Hardcore OG. I couldn't find too much specifically on this strain however it's going to be bread from tropicana cookies so a mix of gsc and tangy and uh hardcore og is blueberry and big bud so two indica dominant hybrids bred together for another indica dominant hybrid i'm cool with that yeah that's it's my jam <laughs> this is actually one of the lower THC percentages I've seen come out of uh, Top Shelf, but because it's just hovering right around 20%. But as we've talked about in the past, that's not always the full story. Terpene profile can uh, influence it a lot. I just don't have a lot to say about the terpene profile because I don't know what uh, this strain inherited from its parents. So Understandable. It should just be a good indica-dominant time. Sweet. All for it. <laughs> And with that in mind and our green hits, remember to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. At the lowest level, you could get this episode a week early, and up at the highest, get shit like a sticker and access to our Discord, and which means you can talk with us and ask us questions and pick our brain on horror and all that good shit, because we've been doing this for a while now. So, Precisely. you know, we would really appreciate it if you go check that out, patreon.com slash fried squirms. But we have some guts and bolts to get into if we're going to talk about the changeling. Guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts of the changeling. Who and what went into the making of this? Spoiler free to start. We'll get to spoilers in a minute. Start off with the setup for the flick in case you don't know what it's about. George C. Scott experiences a tragedy in his family and... As he's going to work abroad and help get his mind off things, he lands himself in a haunted house, and a (laughs) new mystery starts to unfold. I like it. I think that's a good brief setup of what this film entails, of course, without getting into any spoilers. And with that, we do like to talk about our cast and crew from week to week. And this week, I want to lead off with our director, and that gentleman is Peter Medak. It's a gentleman we've actually talked about before, not like really thoroughly, but because we reviewed... All three seasons of Hannibal. So for our, our fanables out there, 
He did a few episodes back on seasons one and two of Hannibal, so that would have been episode 40 and 41 for us. But aside from that, just a few other things of note. He's done a couple music videos, and one, surprisingly, is Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, which is really cool. He's also helped with uh, Peter Gabriel's Modern Love music video as well. He's helped on Zorro, the Gay Blade. He's the director of that. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> I know you get a kick out of that. He's done quite a few episodes of The Twilight Zone, seven to be exact, from 1985 through 87. He's also done five episodes of Fairytale Theater. And let's see here. He's done Kindred, The Embraced. He's also responsible for uh, an episode of Tales from the Crypt. He's a director on Romeo is Bleeding, Species Part 2. He's in a couple of uh, Law & Order episodes, things of that nature, Seventh Heaven, Masters of Horror. He's the Washingtonians director. Oh, no shit. I fucking yeah. love the short story of the Washingtonians, and I still have not watched that Masters of Horror episode. I see. Yeah, he's also done an episode of Breaking Bad as well. Well, did you see which, which Hannibals he did? Yeah, actually. Because the first one is the one that didn't air. He did the Molly Shannon episode. Oh, that's pretty gnarly, man. I've just seen, too, he's also done an episode of Carnival, but if uh, we're going to take a look at uh, his episodes of Hannibal. See he, the wire on there, too, man. Yeah, he's done some really cool stuff. Ooh, he did the episode the Hassan, or Hassan, which is mm-hmm. from 2014, and Oof from 2013. Yeah, and he's got the Coast of Peter Sellers documentary, and he's got the Fallen Moon, which is a known, so just a few projects there. All right, we have writers Russell Hunter, which this story was based upon, and the script was written by William Gray and Diana Maddox. And Diana, outside of this film, she's worked on The Peace Killers and The Amateur, along with William Gray, and a few things from William. He's actually helped on The Philadelphia Experiment. I think I brought that up before in the past. It's about uh, this ship that kind of vanished mm-hmm. into thin air, which is kind of neat when I watched way back when. Mm-hmm. All right. He's also helped on an episode of the Hitchhiker television series, one I'd recommend if you're a fan of the 80s. Uh, he's done an episode of Dark, well, two episodes of Dark Shadows. He's helped on a couple of episodes of Robocop, the television series, FX the series as well, a couple of episodes of Beastmaster from 2007. Yeah. yeah. And the TV movie Journey to the Center of the Earth. All right, cinematographer on this is a gentleman we've actually talked about before way back when, but this gentleman is John Coquillon. And he actually was a cinematographer on Witchfinder General, our 26th episode. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know how in-depth we got with some of his filmography way back when, but just a few films of note from him. He's helped on The Oblong Box, which is a really interesting film. Uh, Wuthering Heights, he's also the director of photography on Straw Dogs. His nose is a film I've brought up several times. I love Straw Dogs. Yeah, that that original one's pretty fucking boss. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, he's also helped on the TV movie Ivanhoe. He's also helped on such things as Magnum P.I. He's also helped on uh, the TV movie Mandela, which is really neat. All right, we have editor Lila Peterson. She's helped on the movies Big Meat Eater and Seasons in the Sun. The music was composed by Rick Wilkins. He helped on Dieppe 1942 and The Suicide Murders. This was produced by Joel B. Michaels, Garth H. Drabinsky, and Mario Kassar. Production company on this was Cheeseman Park Productions. 
the distributors were pan-Canadian film distributors for the 1980 Canadian theatrical release and Associated Film Distribution for the 1980 United States theatrical release. Now, it had two different release dates. One was March 26, 1980, here in the States in Dallas at the USA Film Festival, and March 28, 1980, both in Canada and the United States. It had an estimated budget of about $6.6 million dollars and it grossed right at $12 million. Now there's a couple different taglines on this. The one I wrote down on this one was, whatever you do, don't go in the attic. Uh, okay. That's, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know. I don't think it sell, that tagline sells this movie for what it really is. Right, right, right. But you know. That, that feels more like a, I don't know, like a toys in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> Flowers in the attic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too. So moving into our cast, we've got quite the cast. We could spend pretty much the majority of this podcast talking about them, but for time's sake, I'll try to speed through this a little bit. I'm going to lead off with George C. Scott, plays the role of John Russell in the film. Now, a few things of note from him is if he needs really an introduction. I think some people, maybe a little bit older generation, might know him because he played Patton, General Patton, that is, in a couple different adaptations. He's also uh, known for Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, which is really neat. I knew of him. I think I didn't know who he was back then, but because of his role in The Exorcist Part 3, that's probably oh. one of my formal introductions to him. Now, I mean, he's done several things like The Hustler. I think my introduction Paul to him Newman. probably would have been The Christmas Carol that yeah, he was in. Yeah, I think me too, man. That's mm-hmm. pretty dope. Yeah, he's done tons of films. Like I said, we'd be here all day, but those are just a few to kind of give you an idea. Now, because of the way this is set up, I'm just going to get into it. Uh, His wife in the film, not in real life, even though she is in the film, (laughs) Jean Marsh, who plays the role of Joanna Russell, which is the wife of John Russell, George C. Scott's character. But just a few things of note from her. She's known for being in the ITV series Upstairs, Downstairs, back in 71 through 75. She was also uh, the co-creator of the television series The House of Elliot back in 1991. This is kind of neat. You might know her as the lead witch in Willow. Bab Morta. Yeah, she's Bab Morta. How am I not? How did I not make that connection? <laughs> I've seen Willow probably more like I'm. I'm a that's little, her. Like that's crazy. I I can't even believe. Yeah, that. she plays the wife. <laughs> that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, she was also in the films Frenzy, Return to Oz, Fatherland, Return and Monarch. Yeah, she's been in all kinds of cool stuff. A lot of television series as well. Cool. All right, now, the real-life wife of George C. Scott is Trish Vanderveer, who plays the role of Claire Norman in the film. Now, I believe they've collaborated. I think at this point, this is like their eighth or ninth film together. Okay. So that was kind of neat. I did read up a little bit about that, but... Just a few things of note from her. She was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for the film One is a Lonely Number back in 1972. She was in Beauty and the Beast from 76, which is kind of neat, Bill Beaumont. Hmm. She was uh, a part of Columbo television series. She was in Hollywood Vice Squad, Messengers of Death. Like I said, she's won several awards as well, Golden Globes, Genie Awards, several things like that. So pretty interesting. We have Madeline Sherwood, who plays the role of Mrs. Norman, so it's Claire Norman's mother in the film. But Madeline, she was in a few films, which include Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which is really neat. She was in, I don't know how many episodes, but she was definitely part of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents television series back in 1961. She was a part of the Flying Nun television series from 67 through 70, and the film Sweet Bird of Truth. 
Where we have Melvin Douglas plays the role of Senator Joseph Carmichael. A few things of note from him. Uh, some people might know him because of his role in the 1939 film, Ninochki. It's I was kind of looking at that poster on it. It's like, don't pronounce the name, watch the film. <laughs> I'm like, that's kind of funny. <laughs> All right, uh, he actually won an Academy Award for his role in HUD, which is really neat. He was also in the 1979 film Being There. He was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance, and I never sang for my father back in 1970. And his uh, last appearance also happened to be in a ghost story back in 1981. It's oh, actually the ghost name of the story. film. <laughs> All right. It's on my list. We have John Kalikos play his role of Captain DeWitt. And this gentleman, a few films of note from him. Now, I think a lot of Canadian listeners, if they are listening, are going to recognize him for a lot of roles that he played in television series up there. But... Some people might know him because he played Count Baltar in the original Battlestar Galactica series, which is kind of neat. Oh, has- shit. That is Baltar. Yeah, man. Oh, why didn't I think? So the other big fucking nerd cred he has, though, is he's the first ever Klingon that was ever shown. Yeah, really? that's fucking gnarly. Interesting. Yeah, like I said, he's got a lot of television roles, but you're right. I, I did read about that, too, just kind of brushing up on some of these people, but... Yeah, like I said, if you just look through his filmography, it's mostly television roles, and it's mostly just character actor roles, but uh, good on him nonetheless. All right, moving forward, we have Barry Morse, who plays the role of the parapsychologist Dr. Pemberton in the film. A few things of note from him, he was a part of the ABC television series The Fugitive and the British sci-fi drama Space 1999. Part of the Martian Chronicles, which is kind of neat. He was also... uh, the Outer Limits, an episode of that, an episode of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour back in 63. It's also in the film Asylum, which is kind of neat. Running Scared as well, so yeah. All right, we have uh, Helen Burns, who plays the role of Leah Harmon. She's a part of the seance group in this film. That's a little bit of a spoiler, but a few things of note from her. She was in Zorro, the Gay Blade, and the film If You Could See What I Hear. All right, we have Frances Highland. She plays the role of Mrs. Gray. She's the homeowner a little bit later on in the film. Which we'll oh, get into. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, a few things of note from her. She was in The Hounds of Notre Dame and Happy Birthday to Me, which is actually a slasher film from the 80s, early 80s to be exact. All right, we have Jane Mortal plays the role of Linda Gray, which is the daughter of Mrs. Gray in the film. A few things of note from her. She was in The Clan of the Cave Bearer, which actually stars Daryl Hannah. She was in the 1994 film Little Women. She was also in The Hitcher Part Two. I've Been Waiting. And it's television series Side Effects like from 1994 through 1996. And I believe she won a couple of awards for her role in that. All right, we have Ruth Springfield. She plays the role of Minnie Huxley. She's like the old lady who works with the senator. Uh, a few things of note from her. Actually, a lot of people who are a little bit older in this film was in this television series, but I didn't write them all down. But she was a part of the festival television series from 61 through 64. She was in the film Five Card Stud. She was a part of the Littlest Hobo television series, which I've now brought up a couple times. The Canadian show about a mm-hmm. dog that just like wanders from town to town. Really helps with whatever little struggle they're dealing with, and yeah, and, and hits the road again. The littlest <laughs> fucks off. The littlest hobo. Yeah, and he fucks right on off. <laughs> All right, and she was also part of the Friday the Thirteenth the series, which has nothing to do with the movie series. Oh, right. It was sort of like a... Um, Just a little Tales spin-off. the Dark Side yeah. sort of deal, yep. right? Yeah, yep, yep. Got all three seasons. Found out the pawn shop here in town. Well, it's not about 
that right now, but anyhow, <laughs> that did happen. All right, uh, a few other people of note. I've got Chris Gamble who plays the role of Mr. Tuttle. A few things to note from him. He was in Annie Hall from 1977. He was also in Death Wish back in 1974 as well. Really cool. All right, we have Terrence Kelly plays the role of Sergeant Durbin in the film. A few things of note from him. Actually, this movie is actually really interesting. It's about a Playboy model who was murdered by her, like, obsessive boyfriend. But this guy happens to be in Star 80 is the name of the film. Hmm. Yeah, that movie is wild. It is wild. All right, um, he's also an American Gothic from uh, 1987. He's in the film Agent Cody Bakes. <laughs> you might oh, have seen shit. him in 2004's Walking Tall. He was also in The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. The Exorcism of Emily Rose, he was in Watchmen as General West. You might have seen him in The Big Year. He was also in Sonic the Hedgehog as Farmer Zimmer. And he was in a ton of television series as well. All right, we have J. Kenneth Campbell. who plays the role of security guard Colin, or Colin in this film. A few things of note from him. He was in Love and Bullets back in 79. He was in the 1988 film Waxwork as the Marquis de Sade. He was in the 1989 film The Abyss, which actually was shot in my home state, South Carolina. Mm. Kind of neat. He was in the 1994 film Cobb, and then he went on to be in Mars Attacks from 1996. He's also in Tomcats, which is actually a pretty decent comedy. And more recently, he was in Bluebird from 2013. Got two other people, and that rounds out our cast and crew. I've got Roberta Maxwell. She plays the role of Ava Linkstrom, and Bernard Barons plays the role of Robert Linkstrom. They're the couple that kind of helps... Uh, George C. Scott's character gets settled into Seattle. Oh, like right. Like at their okay, home and sure, stuff. Yeah. Okay, so that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give you some warnings. Warnings. I mean, mild spoiler, but violence towards kids. Yeah. Since some people don't dig on that. It's on point, yeah. I mean, you've already alluded to it. Haunted Houses brings... Ghosts. Some things, yeah. <laughs> Supernatural shit. Supernatural shit. There's not much person that I can think of in this. I mean... Is there any? Bastard. Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, bastard. Jo- uh, George C. Scott's character says, son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Son of a bitch. He's, yeah, he's quite perturbed, and he uses <laughs> the term son of a bitch. Yep. So there's, it? there's that. Mm. Um, yeah. Ain't that bad. Yeah, not really. Not much to have to warn people about. You know, there was a scene that I read about on IMDb today that it's kind of a spoiler, so maybe I shouldn't say what it is right away, but apparently she says, oh, shit, Trish's, or... Trish Vandeveer. Yeah. Um, her character says, oh, shit, at some point. Yeah. But I don't recall her ever saying that in the movie. There's oh, well, she well says, now we've said shit more than she does. So yeah, I think we've If you're listening to this, fuck it. <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> Let's get in uh, to the spoiler section and talk about how the changeling made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, The Changeling. This was my first time with it. I hadn't watched it before under 24 hours ago still. (laughs) Or no, I think I was probably just finishing it up yesterday, right about 24 hours ago right now. I dug it, but like, what are your guys' histories with it? Well, this was like my fourth or fifth time. Mm -hmm. I think I first saw it when I was in high school. Okay. I think we were at somebody's house and somebody had rented it, actually. This was like around the time that I first saw The Exorcist, like actually sat down and watched it, you know, as like mm-hmm. a young teenager, and uh, it fucked me up, and The Shining as well. Both of the, I enjoyed the hell out of them, but they also like, 
shook yeah. my ass up, you know. So then when uh, we popped in the changeling and, like, I started vibing with the atmosphere mm-hmm. and shit, like, it kind of had, like, this almost, like, just, like, the way the film looks, it just kind of has that, like, sort of classic feel to it. But, yeah, man, I guess I'm kind of stoned. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. How long has it been in between the last time you had viewed it up until more recently? I want to say that I saw it at least a year ago. I showed okay. it to a bunch of people okay. that I was hanging out with that had never seen so it. So it's before. it's still relatively, uh, you know, I won't say fresh, but it's still relatively in the in the zone for you, so to speak. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Right. It's like one of those movies that ever since I, like, fell in love with it, I've seen it, like, at least, like, three or four times since. You okay, know? that's cool. Yeah, the first time I'd seen this, and I think I told you, Tyler, was with my buddy Sean, probably, like, in, like, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. But I know for sure, 100% sure, it was probably one of those films during that time period where I would rent a film, hang out with some friends, and I'd be used the first one, Conk Out. I was doing a lot of construction and shit back then. Yeah. But I, I remember we watched this film, and I'm almost certain I conked out. Because <laughs> it's like, man, there's so much shit I burn, do not man. remember. Yeah. yeah, and that's part of, I think, part of the reason why. But yeah, prior to this weekend, I think that was the only time I'd ever watched it, you know, quote unquote, watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is more of a. a like a crash course refresher for me this weekend. Sure. Now the other thing to ask before we go into like the actual meat of this movie is I think both me and Danny over the course of this show are very much on record as not getting down with ghost stories that much. Like what's your relationship with ghost stories, Donnie? Like for whatever yeah, reason. We're not here to judge. We're just curious. Yeah. We're just, we're curious, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't do it for us as much. Which is weird. I've I've brought it up in the past. Like, I'm for some reason super in if just stupid bullshit's happening on screen for no reason, and then the answer is oh because Satan. <laughs> yeah, but or... if the same stupid bullshit is happening on screen, and then the answer later on is oh because ghosts for whatever reason I'm just. <laughs> like, it's the same <laughs> shit that's happening, but for whatever reason it just doesn't do it as much for me. But I don't know. I sort of have a deep rooted history with like ghost stories and stuff. Mm. I don't know, you know, like having sleepovers when we were kids and like my one friend's like we always thought his uh, his basement was haunted because his house made weird noises. And that's just sort of like stemmed from there. So I I can get down with ghost stories, man. Like I sort of still sort of like approach it with that sort of same childhood, mm. I don't know, fear of it, you know. So that's one of the reasons why this movie still gives me the creeps when I watch it. I think that's a solid point in terms of maybe how how you go into this film, your experience with this film. Because I was thinking about this earlier today. I think this film, for me, probably would have been a lot more effective had I seen this when I was much younger. Sure. Compared to like seeing it for my, the first time in my twenties, but more so cognitively being seeing forty. It yeah. You know, on top of this being like a, a film that's forty plus years later. It's like, you know, growing up, these kind of films were a lot more effective because I was more susceptible to believing into that kind of stuff. Sure. So, yeah, you know, The Exorcist and even Evil Dead Part Two and things like that, like Possessions and The Unknown, Supernatural, that kind of shit creeped me out. But as the older I got, the more I'm like, ah, <laughs> I don't know if I can subscribe to this channel too much longer, <laughs> no, dude. Sure. You know, and so that's probably, I think, we're, you know, we're with... Tyler and myself, it's like, ah, man, you got to really spin a good yarn for me to really buy this, you know? I feel and the that's same the thing. way with demonic possession. Right. Mm. It's like, 
demonic possession. It's like, just don't not, just throw Satan out there just for the sake uh, of it. It just does not do shit for me anymore, man. Yeah, exactly. So it, it depends on how the story is told. And I think using certain points of reference, and in my case for this film, you know, is trying to look at it from that time period. Sure. You know, coming out of the late 70s, going into a, a new decade, but still having that classic feel. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why this film is so effective. Yeah, but absolutely. you know, without getting into the whole meat of the the story, here's like that's the thing. Like for me, going into this movie, it was kind of having to work uphill for what I'm usually into. I ended up really digging this movie, and I think I would like ghost stories more in general if they tended to do more things. This movie does. I feel you. Like I think this is one of the ones that does it a little um, bit more right than others absolutely. do. Absolutely sure. That's just like from from a technical standpoint. Uh, technically, this, this movie is gorgeous. phenomenal. Right. Uh, everything about it, the, the set design, the score, the acting, you know, the lighting, atmosphere, all that shit. There's a reason why it won so many Genie Awards when it did, so can't knock it for that. To me, it's more, <laughs> to more is like the believability of the story. It's like I really have to suspend my disbelief for this to really be effective for me. But I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the writing. I'm sure. just saying, for me, mm -hmm. this is how I'll have it to It takes a little my, bit more to get yeah, on board. Yeah, it's like, ooh, because I, you know, could really start pointing out some obvious things. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's not the part of this of, film. Yeah. That's not uh, the point of this film. That's just my little critiques, you know. But in terms of just, if you're going to buy into the story, it's, it sells you hook, line, and sinker all the way through. So, th all right, this is the spoiler section. I kind of want to, like, jump into this a little bit because this is the one weird thing. I guess the big biggest thing I brushed up against wasn't even the ghost in this or any of, like, the haunting shit. It was at the end of the day, it's framed through the story, kind of, that, like, the ghost is just wanting justice, right? Like, that, yeah, that's, that's, what it feels that's like, kind yeah. of what it, it feels like the story's sort of setting up to be and, like... This fucking rich, you know, this rich old guy got all the shit he wanted and this and that. And so he ends up dying in the end. And But, like, that's... The ghost doesn't get justice on the guy that fucking killed him. It felt more like jealous, not justice. He, like... <laughs> he made the fucking adopted kid pay for the sins of his fucking father. Yeah. And that's... You know, that's not necessarily fair at all. Uh, it's just... It's circumstantial. You know, it's like, ah... Now, that I will say this movie's kind of, good enough that yeah. I didn't think about that right away. No. I got to the end, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. good on the ghost. Got like, <laughs> fucking Joseph got killed, and that was fucked up. And, like... Well, yeah, of course. And then I thought about it for a second, and I'm like, wait, but... <laughs> but that was just, like, a six-year-old kid that was taken out of an orphanage and just, like, sent to Europe for a war. Like, he wasn't in the war, obviously, right, but, like, but, he was yeah. stuck in Europe while a fucking world war was going on. And then he comes back, and he's just brought up as a fucking millionaire's kid, and that ain't on him. No. Yeah, and it's like, what, what do you Like, do the guy, the guy that did the shit has been dead for fucking 40 uh, years. Yeah, it's like, sure. that's fucked. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get that it was supposed to be Joseph's, but, like, I'm like, what good does killing him right now do anyway? Dude's fucking 109, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but that's, that's, I think that's the thing we were talking about earlier, it's... If you're going to buy into the story, it's like there are certain things you really have to suspend your disbelief on. Because once again, none of that came till after, though. Right. And that's what I'm getting at. It's, you know, within the, the frame of the film, everything 
hits the beats, you know, the way that you would want them to. And that's why it's so clever and why it's so classic. And, and it, there's a lot of tension and suspension. And because it is a slow burn, you know, it makes you have to buy into it. And that's what I'm getting at. It's like, if you're in it for the long run, it's like it, it hits all the beats. Going into the start of the movie, for as serious as this movie takes itself, I was kind of surprised at the weird almost like overkill for how his family gets killed. <laughs> it's like, all right, it's not just like this car was going out of control. It's not just that like this giant truck is coming down a hill and can't stop. It's the car skids out. Maybe they're going to make it, maybe not. And then the truck still just like plows into it <laughs> and makes sure that they just get wiped the fuck out. Like, Probably both went Jesus. over them. It cuts away too soon. Yeah, it's like that's that's a pretty brutal wreck, man. Yeah, I, I was like first seeing that like when I was a kid. And it was well, yeah, it's like what the fuck? That's a way to kickstart a film. Yeah, <laughs> coming in at it years and years later, I'm like, oh shit, was this inspiration for like Final Destination? Yeah, right, dude. D- all right, I'm glad <laughs> they're just starting destined to, say this. to fucking die somehow. This film, I feel inspired a lot of films that came after and that's probably just one example man there's another one i, I think i i was well, i know the, to. i know the others was directly inspired by yeah. this oh yeah without a doubt somebody else was which i need to rewatch the others i have not seen it since theaters and i remember thinking it was a fucking dope movie and i have not seen it since but <laughs> somebody else i was talking i can't remember who that is somebody else i was talking to this week asked me they're like oh yeah is that the movie with angelina jolie and I was like, no. I was like, but I could see why you think that. <laughs> and then they started describing the film. I was like, well, goddamn, it kind of sounds the same. <laughs> it's just told maybe from the mother's point of view, mm. from the changeling's mother point of view. I mean, the stories are similar. I don't think they're identical, but it's like, wow, this is kind of eerie. So I would imagine it partly inspired that movie as well. I don't know mm. how much, but it's eerily similar. Some of the, the aspects of that film is what I'm getting at. But one in particular, after watching it this last time around, was like, damn, I feel like The Ring probably owes a lot to it. I was wondering, I was sitting there like, you mentioned halfway through the week to me, you're like, this reminds me of something. I'm wondering if you're going to pick up the vibes. And I'm like, I'm watching it, and I'm like, well, I'm picking up vibes of a lot of movies because people fucking love this movie. And so, like, everything in the world references it somehow. Or it's like a mystery film, like, Mm -hmm. mixed with, like, horror elements. Yeah, and it's just, to me, it was... Not odd, but I was like, oh, maybe it's just a pure coincidence, but there's a well involved, there's a kid involved, and a kid down the well, mm. <laughs> you know, c- kind of communicating through beyond the grave. In Seattle. Using audio as opposed to visual, you know, so there's things like that. That was the thing that stood out to me, actually. When I think of horror movies from this time period, it seems that most of them are super stuck on New York for the most part. <clears throat> yeah, that's a solid point. And the fact that this was up in the Pacific Northwest, like, recognizably, well, not really. I mean, it was shot in British Columbia, but, like, recognizably in film Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it is kind of a, a rarity for that time period to be setting the, yeah, the, the Pacific Northwest as, a, as the backdrop. I bought it as Seattle, for sure. No, I, was, yeah, the I majority did, was the shot one in BC, scene, yeah. The one scene where they're on a rooftop, and there's, like, a dialogue scene. I mean, that, if you told yeah. me it was Seattle, I would have totally bought it. <laughs> now there were some establishing shots in New York and in Seattle, but yeah, the majority of the film was shot in BC. Uh, yeah, well, they did a great job. I fucking bought it. 
But I just thought that stood out to me. I was like, wait, you're going to be in a city and it's not New York or L.A.? What year are we in? I know, right? All right, I'm down. Or Chicago or something like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 exactly. But no, that gives it another kind of unique flair, if you will. That being said, after the accident, though, and he moves out there and he's going to move into that fucking place, I don't fucking believe in ghosts, and I'm going to tell you that that place is fucking haunted. Well, it's just the way that they're kind of leading, like, this place hasn't been lived in in 12 years. Like, well, why not? Well, I don't know. Well, I've been here for a year. I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, then, hold on, wait a minute. Then everybody's just like, no, no, nobody's in that house. Nobody lives in that house. You're just like, yeah, I, because it's haunted. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely some spooky shit happened in there. But oddly enough, that wasn't a real house. No, it's just a facade. Mm. And all the interiors were, yeah, shot in a studio, which right. is kind of neat. Yeah. I did read about that. They did a good job. Yeah, they, did they really job, sure. did. <laughs> wow, I did not read about that. I am now sitting here blown away. The uh, the scenes, particularly in the attic, like in the, the boarded up oh, okay. Joseph's bedroom, you know, awesome sets, man. While I'm doing some of that research, it's like, yeah, just some studio they built in West Vancouver. And because of all the films that came after, it kind of shut it down because it couldn't compete with... Because it was like on a separate island, mm-hmm. you know, and it just happened to be there for that film. But regardless, they did a good job with the set. And then they burned it all down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one take. That was the last take that you get. Oh, damn. Yeah, it had to be done. Did they say, so the, you know, I guess we're skipping all the way to the ending scene. I know, it's spoilers. Well, they showed <laughs> the entire mansion burning. Yeah. What was, do you guys know what was behind that? Like, is that like, there was actually like a, an, an estate behind all that shit. I don't know how far back further than that. Okay. But yeah, that's supposedly, that's, they built the facade in front of another estate. That's an epic scene, man. I mean, it's this huge mansion yeah. actually burning, you know? It's yeah. Like, I was, as I was watching it last night, I, I never really appreciated it until, I mean, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. all practical. Yeah, but that's. No, they just burnt the facade. <laughs> yeah, that was that. Was that. Nice. That's dope. Yeah. The the place where they shot um, the interior of the senator's home, that was, from what I understood, I think that was like a doctor's home at first, and then it was converted into a military school. And that was the Are first we talking the, the real fucking swank place? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. the real place. Yeah. Yeah, that was, at the time, I think there was a military indi- uh, like institute... Oh, but shit. it was okay. private at the time. But that was the first time that I think it had been shot on mm. film. Yeah, so it was kind of a unique glimpse into that as well. <laughs> Is this George C. Scott's nicest role? Uh, you could argue that. <laughs> yeah, you could. I was trying to think about that. Usually he's a bit more of an asshole than he is in this. Well, because I was thinking about it because before I became a college dropout, I was a um, secondary ed music student. So... I would have been in a class much like the one that they show him opening up for like two minutes. Uh, I kind of wanted that scene to go on because I was like, I, I loved my music professor. <laughs> she was also my, um, my advisor. I had her for like four or five classes. She's a wonderful person. Love her to death. And I was still sitting there wishing that he was my fucking music yeah. teacher. Like he was great. Just immediately turned it on. I was like, wait, fucking Scrooge? Patton? Yeah. You being this nice? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know there's fucking supernatural shit going on. That was really him playing the piano on that. that yeah, scene. he had learned oh. that piece just, I, I don't know, maybe just for that, but I wonder how much background he had prior to that, too, because he felt it, he nailed it. Well, I do know that that was not him on the horse. No. 
He's uh, afraid of horses. <laughs> Unlike his wife, who is like actually like super equestrian lady. My couple. Yeah. I watched it on the, um, it was my first time watching it on my new setup, or newer oh. setup. I have the second, is it Second Sight? That sounds, yeah, I think you're right. I think second they're the ones films. that, yeah, yeah, that's the version that I have, and it's okay. a 4K restoration. Okay. And that scene is on my TV, it just looked fucking gorgeous, man. Like, hmm. You're right, because they're the same company that's going to be putting out George Romero's Martin. I'm looking oh, forward to that. Nice. Hell yeah. I put out, I think, Donovan Dead is recently too. So anyway, really, yeah, 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 yeah. They got some really cool films. Are catalog. they? Uh, are they British? I, I'm almost certain they are. I want to say that a lot of the stuff that they do is like it's like pal encoded because I'm I'm always seeing mm. Americans on the Facebook like getting pissed off like oh god damn it, <laughs> not <laughs> again. Unless it's in 4K, I don't have that problem, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. There was a few things I thought was kind of interesting. Just kind of the whole, like, the beats that we're following. Like, okay, he's going from, because the film, the way it sets it up in the beginning, is it happens sort of late November, right? So this is, like, right after Thanksgiving or mm -hmm. right around that time. And then he moves out to Seattle early March. So there hasn't been much time elapsed, you know? And, but things are, it seems to be going well. He's got a, a fucking sweet pad. He's got a nice little job set up. That was a fucking sweet bat. Oh, that, I mean, like I'm making aside fun of from it being obviously haunted, haunted. And shit, but <laughs> aside from that, you know, you, you take away that aspect of it. That's a dope fucking pad. So he, you know, things are looking on the up and up, and it just to me it was like, all right, he's set up to be like this. I don't know if it's an adjunct professor or just a what exactly his mm -hmm. title entails. I don't know, but then he gets side skirted, sidetracked because of this ghost story. And then he turns into like a kind of a PI in a way, like just he's trying to figure out. I'm like, man, he just kind of neglected all his duties back at the university. <laughs> hooking up with his yo, he's a fucking rock star. Lady. There, look, there's 23 kids yeah. signed up for that class, and that entire fucking auditorium. I'll give him full. that. I'll give him that. They're gonna let him slide all day. Fucking I'll, I'll long. definitely. I'll but give bitch, him that. There was the scene where he had a um, little session going on, and yeah, crib, yeah, you know, and they were. Rocking it too. Mm -hmm. I, w I wonder if that was actually him playing the piano in that scene as well. Quite possibly, yeah. That's a solid point. I didn't think about that. But. I wonder how many of them are actually playing. Oh, given the time period too, you, it's more likely to get that authenticity. It looked like they were actually yeah playing. having a jam mm -hmm. session. Yeah, they yeah they were killing it. That was actually really good. I mean, with it getting into the house and the fucking spooky shit actually starting to happen. Yeah, this is a film that I really liked. Even more the second time around because it was a lot easier to put together. Oh, this is why the ghost is doing this. Oh, this is why the ghost is doing this. Yeah, exactly. They explain it over the course of the movie, but then getting to rewatch it, it yeah. knowing that info, it it hits a little bit different. I think it maybe cushioned some of the <clears throat> spooky element when you really like know the full context of those noises. What's going on? Yeah, you're like, oh, I mean, yeah, it is spooky, but. Knowing what it actually means is like, right. oh, oh, yeah. that's actually more sad than anything. More, yeah. You know, yeah. kids pounding for help. <laughs> it just sounds spooky because I don't know what the fuck it means out of context. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's one of the things this film kind of does right is that the scares aren't really meant to be scares. They're just trying to be communication. Right. It's like more right. price for help than anything. Right. Whereas a lot of ghost stories. These they're scares hauntings. are yeah, they're hauntings and they're just happening because the ghost is pissed. 
Yeah, it's a vengeful spirit or something, mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, where in this case, yeah, it very well could have been that because of its the kid was wrongfully killed, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it would, it, well, you would assume. I'm still saying jealousy, not justice. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's the debate here, right? But yeah, I mean, the whole point, yeah, is like the kid. I guess he just, you know, he needs peace. He needs resolve, and that was the missing puzzles of the stolen identity right. aspect I, of it. I guess I like that it adds into the mystery part of this. Right, exactly. Because it is kind of a detective story, too. It really it's is. just that most yeah. of his initial clues come from places he couldn't have actually figured them out. Yeah, and it's just... Which is still fine. Like I watch, I read fucking stories like that all the time. I love, I love the fucking Dresden Files. He's a supernatural. Yeah. He's a wizard fucking detective in Chicago. Like he's getting clues that you can't find out without fucking magic. I'm okay with that. Like that works for me as long as it feeds in well to the mystery. And it did. I was like, oh sweet, that was dope. You have the great red herring with Cora. Yeah, exactly. That was that was good. A little curveball they threw in here. Another thing, I think I'm starting to have a kind of a love-hate relationship with this kind of thing or this kind of character in films is the Minnie Huxley character. She's that old lady who works at the Historical Society. She drops some expo on George C. Scott's character where Claire, she's going off to do whatever, like to have this little meeting with her. And then she's telling him, she's like, uh, no one's been living in that house yeah, she's pretty much telling him, like, the house doesn't want you living in it. It doesn't want people living in it. And then she just kind of fucks off. <laughs> I'm like, you can't be telling people shit like that. Just fuck off. Well, until she pops back in later to fucking rat out the yeah. info to she's the senator. A, right. She, yeah, she, exactly. It's because those files are missing and shit like that. Which makes it really murky how much the senator actually knew or not. It does. And maybe that lends more to the, the vengeful spirit mm-hmm. aspect of it. Because he, but then I thought he secretly. I thought at something. the end though that like it was pretty genuine that he's like, my dad, you know, my father was a loving father. Yeah, and, like, like you pity him for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. Of course, he, because how much did he really know? For sure, but but at the same time, like, did he just turn a blind eye and? I mean, how old was he when he got snatched up at, from the orphanage too? Six, six. Okay, so how much memory did he have prior to his move to Europe? How much was that kind of like? erased, mm-hmm. washed away from his memory. I don't know. But I would imagine well, you would remember something. Yeah. At the same time, when you get snatched up at six years old and, like, you're all of a sudden, like, the, you got an empire. Oh, you're probably not going to question yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, you Struck get snatched gold. out of an orphanage and you're suddenly a millionaire's yeah. kid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Millionaire score. in that fucking turn-of-the-century millionaire. Dude. That's some, like he said, some zillionaire money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I can't fault them there. To an extent, but I can also see where you're coming from too. Like, how much did he really know? And just kind of kept mum about the, the it. The one, the weird thing is Huxley fucking hitting him up. And yeah, because that lends more to like, there's some secret shit going on. How how much they both know about their, his dad and all this other shit? Well, Huxley seems to know everything because they just, when they even just say a year, she's like, oh, this is who lived there then. This is when they wiped their ass. <laughs> You, what else do you need to know about them? What else like, you want? Fucking all right, creepo. Like, how do you, <laughs> why do you have this shit memorized when we can't yeah. even find the fucking file? Oh, well, I do, like I said, like that kind of character because they do throw you these fucking curveballs and red herrings and all this other stuff. But then I also hate them because, like, man, they're giving you so much information and you're just kind of fucking ignoring it as well. But it's storytelling. 
And that's mm -hmm. what I have to remember is like these kind of people in real life would, would be like confronted and <laughs> be put in their place. But for the movie's sake, it, it follows a certain beat, you know. So you're running up against that. The weird thing I was running up against that they always do in fucking ghost stories, and he didn't do it the first time he goes into the hidden room, but the second time when he takes um, his fucking wife in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, they had amazing chemistry. I love, like... They were great together on yeah. film. It's weird because the text of the film, there's not really a romantic subplot there. No, it, you would think there might With be. With what's actually being said really. and what's actually being done... There's not really a romantic subplot, but they have such good chemistry because they're actually fucking husband and wife. Uh, yeah, you know, that you're kind of like, oh, are they going to get together? Yeah. It's like well, when you there. realize that when you hear that the, that they were actually together in real life, it, it like makes total sense when you watch the film because their chemistry is like, like when they're sipping champagne together mm -hmm. and looking into each other's eyes all like romantically. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the second when he brings her into the fucking hidden room, I'm like. Why Why in these fucking haunted house movies do you always do this with the littlest amount of light possible? <laughs> no, dude. Really I'm like, creepy. I was just... But that was another moment where I'm like, I'm glad this wasn't a modern day one because they wouldn't have fucking passed up the chance of the, the jump scare right there. Oh, perfect. Whereas they're like, perfect no, we're, we're telling a fucking story. We're yeah. going to give you a little bit more info. Here you go. We're going to discover yeah. something because this is a mystery. No, I, I do like that. It's just slowly... Chipping away at the mystery, like you're saying, at the puzzle, giving you these little pieces, and, and it does. It leads more into like, ooh, what's going to happen next? What more are they going to find? How much more this story is going to unravel? Makes it fun. I wish they would have kept up with the like, him kind of seeing his daughter and his family and things a little bit more through the movie. Like I thought that was some of the the craziest moments, especially early on when he like he sees his daughter for a second. Yeah, and then that the was, ball. I like that. And you're like, oh. Yeah, when the ball and it was heartbreaking. You're and like, stuff. oh, and then they subvert that later on, and they turn the ball into kind of a you know an object of terror when you yeah. think he gets rid of it, only for it to come back. But so, what do you think about that? That's where I also have to like hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> I I That's liked movie. it. I liked it because it reminded me of more like short story type stuff, monkey's paw and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I could see that. Donnie. But you, but you, you're what? talking about the ball? Like the yeah. ball and shit. Like it, it know, coming it back through supernatural means. I don't know, man. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, because I, I understand I, the brevity of it, but I'm like, mm, <laughs> I don't. But if it would have been a cult that did it, well, you would have yeah. been okay with it. Right. Because then it's like, well, yeah, because they're setting this up. <laughs> but I, I understand. Like I said, supernatural we got to stick by that, right? It's already been established. Got to stick by it. I mean, I just have this, like, nostalgic sort of, like... Oh, know, no, completely understand. Uh, We're not I trying to gang up on you. We're no, just trying to understand no, no, no. it more because it just doesn't hit us the same way, if anything. But no, for movie, like, for the movie's sake, it's like, yeah, that's fucking horrifying, man. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to throw away this keepsake that keeps torturing you at this point where it was more for, you know, nostalgia and it has its own sentimental value. But for a day, yeah, it come back to haunt you, and then you're trying to get rid of it, and then it still keeps be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that would, that's a mind fuck. Yeah. Well, and that kind of ties into one of the things this movie, in my opinion, really does right, is I feel a lot of the more, more modern, like, ghost stories, supernatural stories, everything is a weird, like, coincidence, 
And in this one, it's more like a guess and a hope, and it's not the exact same thing right, just being yeah. redone again. It's the opposite in this case. It's he is invested in this new ghost because he's torn up about not being able to save this kid. And this is on the opposite end of the spectrum, a father that killed his kid. Mm, that's and, a solid and point. it's hitting him so hard emotionally. Like I'm sitting here tearing myself up for the past half a year because I wasn't able to save my kid. Yeah. And there's some asshole out there that would willingly do this to their kid. Yeah. And then this is why I'm, yeah, and then I'm switch in, a kid mm-hmm. out for your own kid, you know, because of a fortune essentially, mm-hmm. you know, blood money and all that shit. It's it, yeah. That's, I think that's a solid point. If you got to look at it like that too, it's, yeah, it's a tell of a father being able to save the ghost of this kid. Sure. Coincidentally, yeah, and, and probably save his sanity and everything else in return. But I feel like a lot, a lot of ghost stories in particular, they go the easy route of just having the same events happen again. Yeah, and it's like just a cycle. Yeah, it's just cyclic. Whereas in this case, it's like, no, because this happened, it's affecting him emotionally in this way. That makes sense because it's the other half of the circle rather than going in a full circle. Yeah, that's a good point. It's interesting. I think that's the yeah, other, that is clever writing there too. Also, the medium scene was actually really dope. That was, I good. thought, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. The actress who plays uh, the lady who goes in that trance. Yeah. I was like, all right. <laughs> I'm thinking of it more from like being the guy holding the camera <laughs> and watching them do all that shit. Cause I was like, man, she is slaying it right now, you know? But in terms of like the effectiveness and the frame of the film, it's like, man, that's, that's intense, you know, just rapid fire. Because like you said, you learn it's not about that girl, Cora. It's actually about this other right. kid. And then you really like, hold on, whoa. Because they do set it up kind of clever in the beginning with uh, that symphony kind of transition where George C. Scott's playing that piano piece and then it transitions to the symphony because he's playing the piece from the symphony. But the senator happens to be there because he's a philanthropist for that uh, historical society and for that symphony and all that other shit. And you're like, why else would he be there? I was like, yeah, he's giving a speech, but there's more to it than just that. It's like, that's kind of a beginning stage of the setup. Mm. He wasn't there just, I mean, it was a kind of a coincidence, but I think there was more to it than just that. And that's kind of how it's leading back into this story with him. It's kind of an interesting bleed in. So here, <laughs> did you catch the detail where the, the paper pointed out that when Cora died, they made sure that like, they read that the driver of the cart wasn't found at fault? Yeah. So the implication there is that Joseph scared Cora and she ran in the street. <laughs> mm. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> Damn. He wasn't at fault. She gets hit out in the middle of the fucking street. So she's at fault. Yeah. Think about what's been going on in the house. Yeah. And See I, how it affects another little girl later. That's interesting. I, I think, too, is the way that they're trying to, with the red herring, is trying to like, oh, they're trying to draw parallels between that girl and his daughter the accident. That's why it works as such a good red herring, because it right. looks like it's going to be it, cyclical. Exactly. Exactly. And then, and up until you learn about this kid, Joseph, and that's why I was saying with the senator, because then it's like, oh, that's why he was kind of introduced mm-hmm. earlier, too. It wasn't just, like, like I said, happenstance. It's like, oh, that's kind of clever. After, like, he he takes the 
the recording of the fucking seance and that part was like that was cool like you get to hear the, the, the voice ghost and, and shit stuff, yeah. and, you know he ends up freaking out about it and calls over his wife and <laughs> yeah she's like oh, she's she's torn up about that shit which led i think to maybe one of the most understated but best pieces of acting i think in this entire fucking flick is she is so believably torn up about it and just on like fucking on a fucking dime turns and is immediately just blank yeah once you see petrified yeah up against the fucking that's wall. a classic scene dude it really is Holy shit! The acting involved right yeah. there. I think electric I, man. You could you could you can all chime in, but for me in that scene, without remembering exactly what she's seeing, it's like, is she seeing the ghost? What like what the fuck is exactly what caught her? Just the <laughs> yeah. dead pan stopping her tracks. Yeah. Well, just, it almost doesn't the matter. Gasp that, is just mm-hmm. spine yeah. chilling, man. Well, and you said, what is it? Well, you know, I thought the same thing. I'm like, what the fuck is she seeing? Especially the first time through. I'm like, what would get her to stop in, in space like that? I feel like all the options of what it could have been would have been equally terrifying. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, if can... it wouldn't have been the chair, if it would have been the ghost, that's also scary. If it wouldn't have been that, if it would have been the fucking bath basin, oh, that yeah, also that would have been, been scary. Like, if it would have been the music box, that would have been yeah, fucking scary. Right. Like, Anything symbolic, yeah, mm-hmm. would have would have been effective. But I think, too, just like... Yeah, the wheelchair, because it does come back around later on to terrify her again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <laughs> was clever. I'm not going to lie, that maybe was my least favorite part of the oh, movie. Well, I mean, yeah, because it's kind of hokey, but... Well, not even just that. I'm like, why is he pissed at her? Other than he doesn't like people being in the house, which has yeah. been kind of established. I'm like, unless... I'm Okay, <sighs> here, know. in the moment, here's me going to... I'm going to explain it right now. <laughs> yeah. He's actually trying to be nice and scare her away from the upstairs because he knows he's about to fucking light it on fire for that yeah guy. i mean he's yeah. a vengeful six-year-old ghost you know that's true he's only he's, he's probably a, having a blast like <laughs> oh yeah advantage of, mm-hmm. you know, and we're talking like he like 70 years in the making here <laughs> yeah <laughs> going out with a bang <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm scaring everybody in this bitch <laughs> Burn the motherfucker down. that's right <laughs> But I, it got up to that moment, and I was just like, I actually kind of liked it, because it, it following her almost weirdly reminded me of The Shining yeah. and going down yeah. the hallways and stuff. I thought the, the um, shot from the perspective of the wheelchair chasing mm-hmm. her, I mean, it's I thought it was kind of hilarious. You know, it's kind of had this demented sort of feel to it. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of a shaky cam, mm-hmm. you know. I always thought that was kind of funny. Her... Going down the fucking stairs and the wheelchair following, that's fucking parodied in something, right? I know Scary Movie, they parody quite a few things out of this film. Uh, definitely wheelchair stuff. I'm almost certain the ball scene as well. Mm. Stuff like that. So hmm. it wouldn't surprise me. Because that's all I could... When, that, when she actually went down the stairs and the wheelchair did actually follow, I was like, wait, I've fucking seen this before. <laughs> <laughs> the big fair, to be honest... I was halfway expecting that damn piano to come down the fucking stairs, too. I was halfway expecting that shit. Because it's like, is that where Scary Movie got that from? (laughs) I don't know. But, um, yeah, that's I know know where you're coming from there. You know, forgetting about, for me at least, forgetting about the reveal. Like, the whole swap. The orphanage and the kid being drowned. And then, you know, the other kid being swapped in his place. It's like, that's fucking, that's fucked. That's another part where I was like, oh shit, this movie does it for me. I've been wondering the entire time why it's called The Changeling. 
Makes now sense. I get it. Perfect now I sense. see how it fits the changeling myth. Yep. And that's where it makes that turn into the, the last act. Because that first whole two acts, if you want to put it that way, two-thirds of this film, it's more like that suspense, drama, mystery, like, wh- you know, what exactly is in this house, who is in this house, et cetera, et cetera. And then you find that switch. You're like, oh, damn, this has bigger implications because it involves a senator. He's a big money in an mm-hmm. empire. And it's like, that's, re- that's a really cool story. Well, like I said, finally figuring out why it's called The Changeling. I was just like, ooh, yeah. good. It is like... It makes sense. Yeah. Just, and they did it without anybody actually bringing up in movie changeling folklore. Yeah, exactly. Which That's solid, too. I like when movies treat its audience as being smart rather than dumb and somebody having to be like, well, okay, guess what? Text, Since oh. we're in a library right now, I'm going to tell you all about this. Yeah. Like, that's almost like, might as well give me a montage. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's that's good. Here's something else I, I think that's maybe it's just con- coincidental, convenient sake, just follows that beat. It's when they learn about the well from the, the plot. Mm. And they're like, oh, this well disappeared. Where What happened to it, et cetera? Because you start to learn that's where the kid actually got dumped when they made that switch. And they find the house, and then it just leads them directly to the house. They tell the story to the lady, and it's like, well... I wouldn't have believed you until you told me the story about the seance because some weird shit happened with my daughter, coincidentally enough. She saw the little boy, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, was it later on that night the kid sees the kid in the well? It's like, how fucking convenient is that? Well, I I did like how she's like, you want to tear this room apart? I'm going to think about it. I have your number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all it took, which is like later on that evening. And I was like, all right. I'm going to bring my son over. You guys do what you got to do. <laughs> but everything comes to fruition. They find the kid's hand, or presumably at this point, kid's hand. Mm-hmm. He goes back later on and finds the medal and the necklace, mm-hmm. medallion, if you will. And then he confronts the senator who happens to be on the tarmac at the airport and confronts him about the medallion and whatnot. And then because of that, the senator sends the captain DeWitt to, you know, interrogate, if you will, I suppose, or ask questions. And, and like I said, all these things just, to me at this point, it's like, man, how much of a coincidence if you were actually investigating uh, George C. Scott's character? Like, okay, he coincidentally went to this home, found all this skeletal remains. Then he confronts this senator who actually sent this cop over who just dies. And then later on that night, the, <laughs> the senator dies. Oh, yeah. Somebody's still, like, like hmm. after this movie, somebody is going to be on his case. I was like, uh, this is just too, this is too coincidental, man. Like, we all know what happened. Right, and I know what you're saying. But, like, I, I get what There's you're a saying. a lot of questions. Like, if this movie happened in real life, then it's not a happy day for him at the end of this movie. <laughs> and he's still going to have the cops pouring into, like, oh, every fucking I'm, hour of his I'd shit. I'd be fucking yeah. nervous, man. Like, how the hell do I explain this? <laughs> It doesn't make any fucking sense. Outside of me, like, this is, I mean, it makes sense to me and everybody else involved, mm-hmm. but outside of that, this is going to seem bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be fucked, right? You can't, well, maybe not fucked because they, they can't link anything to right, it Right, no, 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 no. But they're going to be looking at it's it funny. It's just how coincidental that all this stuff happened and then this just in sequence, too, like one after the other. Yeah. It just seems like too much of a coincidence at a certain point. If anything else, he's going to have, like, a sudden weird uptick in, like, speeding tickets as they're following him around <laughs> everywhere and shit. He's going like. to have to move again. 
I don't know, but I, that's what it made me think. It's like, man, this is just, just everything is popping off for him. But something I, I really did enjoy about this film, and I haven't seen it very much or often used, is the use of the trance and astral projection mm. in this film. I was like, man, that's kind of interesting because that can be confusing if you're not familiar with that kind of shit. It's when, you know, the senator, he's he's thinking about the confrontation after, you know, George E. Scott confronts him in his office about the medallion and who he is and what have you. It's, Claire goes back, you know, she has her encounter. We were talking about with mm-hmm. the wheelchair and she gets spooked and then she runs into George E. Scott and he's like, you need to wait out in the fucking car. I'm going <laughs> back in. And then he falls because he has that weird getting knocked yeah. off the banister. And then the senator is looking at the picture of his dad and goes in that trance. But then he, he's being astral projected up the stairs, and then he sees what really happened. Then he has a heart attack and falls out, mm-hmm. and that's that. But the only person who saw him was George C. Scott in that state. It's like, man, that's how the fuck do you explain that? <laughs> <laughs> I really like that, though. That I'm, was dope I as liked fuck. how fucking, like, arty that ending got, basically. It's like, it can be confusing if you're not familiar with that kind of stuff. But it was super, like... Yeah, it was fucking super cool just to have there's closure. the senator going on like this emotional realization oh, that is also happening to like because of the power mm. of the ghost is also yeah happening to his spirit uh, that has repercussions on his corporeal self. That that makes me and wonder us too. sort of seeing it all because his acting right there is also really like. He doesn't oh, do much except for, like, have pained looks on his face. But, it's but he still also, emotes well. Yeah, and it's obvious in even just that moment why he had a career for, like, 60 fucking years. Like, or whatever it was, 50 uh, years. Or You kind of felt that roller coaster he was probably going through. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, coming to that realization, like, oh, my whole life's been a fucking lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been rich off lies, but I also lived to be 100 and... <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it Could is. Been a lot worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turns out my dad sucked once to somebody else that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry, bro. I guess we're bros. Step bros. Step bro. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> but, you know, in, in that, in the context of the film, there is that closure. You know, like I said, he, he comes at realization. His father's not who he claims to be. He's not who people think he is let alone who he think he is. So there's closure there. But like I said, at the end of the day, too, it's like, man, that leaves a lot of questions for George C. Scott's character. And like, how the fuck did you even, what is going on? I thought you were a professor and a composer. Well, now that you bring that up, I'm thinking about that. But the question I was left with at the end, not the first time through. The first time through, I appreciated it for what I think it's supposed to mean, which is like the... The music box playing in the ashes is this beautiful moment of closure, and I understand that from my first watch. Second time watch, when I'm actually taking my notes and being more critical of it and shit, (laughs) I was sitting there, I'm like, is this the ghost just being like, guess what, I don't have to leave, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not done yet. (laughs) I I got done with it, and I'm still around, so uh, nobody build anything here, (laughs) else I am going to fuck with them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no doubt. But... Like, when I was chit-chatting with, actually, I was talking to Patrick a little earlier, uh, and this is kind of in the context of what you and I were talking about with ghost stories and haunted houses and things like that. It's like, I have to make, uh, you know, exceptions to the rules certain times, because, you know, they they all they don't follow the certain beat, and, and, you know, 
some are better than others. That goes with, without saying. But in this context, in this frame, it's like, all right, think about the film for when it came out and what it must have meant to audiences who were experiencing it from that lens, you know, for the first time. And, yeah, this would have been a fucking, like a horrifying film, like if you believe in in the ghosts and possessions and all this other stuff, and it also made me wonder too. Like, what what is the extent of this kid's reach? Because he's fucking killing cops out on the road, and he's making this guy go into a trance and astral project from his office. It's like what what is this? What is the reach? So there's all these these interesting implications. But my point being is this: technically speaking, like I so said, this film is sound. Can't knock it for that. Just within the frames, and you follow the story. It's a great, like I said kind of mystery what's going on what like I said what's what is the brevity of, of the situation this guy's going through he's going through a tragedy and is being brought up again because of his living circumstances <laughs> coincidentally but there's closure and I enjoy all of that because it's it's kind of timely you know this mm-hmm. is an untimely film too it's still I still think it's a it's one of those films as a foundational film it might be even a good entry point film for a lot of people who might want again to go stories, but are too scared. <laughs> I just did a podcast last week where I was trying to like give some examples of good entry points for certain genres, and I wish that I would watch this sooner so I could have been like, "Cool, you guys like ghost stories? This is a Haunted fucking great one that I well, I'll actually stand behind." Even though like I tend not to get down on that kind of right, story, right. there are some that I fucking get down on. This is going to join the list with uh, "Tale of Two Sisters" and "Imprint." for a ghost story oh, that I actually fucking super vibe with. So, yeah. And that's saying a lot because we, we I know we've kept, kept bringing it up, but it, it really does kind of take a lot for me to, to get involved with a film like this. And I'm like saying it bad, but yeah, it's not really my cup of tea always, but this one was intriguing enough for all the reasons I've already stated, you know, and even taking away that 40 year lens is like, it's, it's still a fucking good film, dude. It, it stands up on its own. Donnie, is there anything you want to bring up about this that we've just sort of skipped past as we were fucking blathering? I always thought the soundtrack was really cool, man. It, it sort of uh, reminded me of uh, stuff you hear in like a Resident Evil game mm-hmm. or something, you know, with the piano and uh, just like the twinkling sort of ghostly melodies in the soundtrack. I think it lends a fucking awesome atmosphere to the overall melancholic feel uh, just yeah. kind of flowing throughout the whole thing. It's like, you know? yeah, it does add to, like, the emotional aspect of the film. Yeah. You know, what his character is going through. And, yeah, it, like you said, very melancholic, you know, because it still has these interesting melodies and, and, you know, dynamics to them. But also it's like, man, it's, it is kind of harrowing, you know. Yeah. Well, it's just the, always the, the overwhelming sort of uh, underlying dread of him, him losing mm-hmm. his family at the beginning, you know, and it's just like, seems to just sort of like, <laughs> I don't know, just sort of like, you know. Sort of carry that on. And, yeah, it really does. Um, I find it interesting, I want to bring this up maybe one more time, is how many things that he went through in such a short period of time from losing his family having to move from the East Coast to the West Coast, move into a fucking haunted house, and not only discover one fucking tragic death with that girl, but another one with the kid and its implication. In a four, maybe five-month time span, I was like, that's a lot of fucking shit to be dealing with. Goddamn. 
Wow. Well, and although it, it was the same ghost, it was technically like two houses that were haunted because yeah. the kid was also at the well. That's what I'm getting at, too. So It's not just one haunted house. It's like, <laughs> oh, shit, somebody else is also running into this ghost because turns out his fucking body's here. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That kid's fucking everybody. Uh, and it's not his fault. I'm just saying. it's just It has a far reach. Mm-hmm. Probably beyond the scope of what that, that dude was thinking. The kid's dad was thinking. It's like, I just got to get that money, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I want that zillions. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But it is sad. Um, maybe before we get too far out and, and close this up, because I don't want to keep extending it, but I don't know how much you guys read about the story that this was based off of, the actual guy who wrote the story, uh, Russell Hunter, if I'm not mistaken, his name is. Mm-mm. Okay, so this is where it might it might give us a little bit more credence into like the believability of this story, is apparently the guy who wrote this story, like so that this story is literally based off of. He was actually a musical composer. He worked for CBS for a while, I think in the 50s. And then he moved to Colorado. His parents ran some hotel or inn or something like that. So he's helping, but he also wanted to kind of get away so he could focus on composing music. After he worked with his parents for a little bit, he wound up finding or renting a home. And uh, that's when all those eerie things started to happen. And coincidentally enough, some of this, the like the literally the story about the kid, is what gave basis to the movie, right? Like he found this secret room, he found this diary about this kid, you know, who was swapped out and all this other stuff because of the the fortune, you know. And he, along with one of his buddies, they uh, they this found out about the well supposedly dug up the body, found the medallion and necklace and stuff. But if you do some fat checking, ooh, you're not going to find a whole lot that matches up to what he said. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, uh, like movies like The Conjuring and shit like that. It's like, uh, I want, I want, there's a part of me that still wants to believe in all that stuff. But there's that skeptic in me too. It's like, uh, but I've seen These this assholes being, keep lying about it. I was like, yeah, but I've seen this being shot down so many times, and it's like, ah, as many times as I want to. It's like, there's also that flip side of the equation, you know? So, and I'm saying, it's, if it is true, it's a crazy fucking story. It's wild. Mm-hmm. It needs to be talked about, but <laughs> I have a hard time believing it when you do try to fact check it, because it's like, nah, none of this stuff is, it's kind of checking um, out. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of unfortunate, but regardless of that, that's that guy's story, but just for the story's sake, it's still a good story. That's the thing. It's a good story. Doesn't mean it's still a good story. So that's my last little take on that. Even if he was lying about it happening in real life. Yeah, I was like, regardless, like, I mean, it's for a goddamn good story, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's better for the silver screen. So there, there you go. Made 12 million bucks. It's a 12 million dollar idea. So there's that. Yeah, I ain't have one of those yet. No, and that's 1980s money. So there's that. But I do enjoy films like this because it's a foundation of film. You know, we kind of talked about it ad nauseum. I can see too why, like for Canadians, because this is a Canadian venture. This is like a, a seminal film for them, not just, I think, in terms of horror, but just in cinema in general too for some of the reasons yeah. we already stated. And it kind of put them on the map for, you know, hey, maybe if you don't want to film in Seattle or those places, you can come up here, get tax incentive, 
you yeah. do some of our actors and our locations and you can make a pretty cool film. No, this is legitimately one of the first movies to substitute British Columbia for the Pacific Northwest, which is just a thing. That's yeah. just what you do now. Yeah, and he's like, we've talked about it a little bit, but I know the CW, like their universe, a lot of the shit's shot mm -hmm. up there. Even prior to their universe, some of the other shows prior to that were shot up there too. Yeah. Um, Josh Jackson, Pacey, apparently makes his debut in this film as a baby somewhere in this film. <laughs> I, I read about that. And it's like I I'm, saw that too, and I don't recall there ever being a baby in this movie. No, unless... I don't know. Yeah, when is there a baby in it? Maybe at the symphony at the beginning. Possibly. Somewhere like somewhere in the scene with a lot of people. Scene, or the speech. Could be a street scene as well. <laughs> I don't know exactly, but yeah. Wild though. Josh Jackson Pacey is in this as baby. Well that's that's one of those things like fucking um oh fucking what's his name? Goddamn the hedgehog, porn star. Oh, Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Ron Jeremy's in Ghostbusters. Oh, damn, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when all the ghosts burst out of the fucking the firehouse, mm -hmm. and there's that shot on the street, and there's all the bystanders, and they're all fucking sure. going everywhere. Right when it like pans off of the fucking firehouse and into the crowd, he's one of the first people just standing there. <laughs> oh, it's so weird. Well, I'm gonna have to watch that when I get home. Today. <laughs> I don't have much else to say on it. Like, I I kind of blew the bits of it that I'm I'm going to because, uh, like I said, I, this I actually you know, dug it quite a bit. I was like, so. you know, d despite some of our biases, it had to work uphill, and it it no. did it, it did the job. I would say, yeah, if if you're anywhere on the fence of like wanting to delve into haunted houses, ghost stories, etc. This is a great film to kind of jump spark all of that for you. So it gets my stamp of approval for that alone. Yeah, this definitely has a sense of dread, though. Don't oh, go into yeah. this movie mm -hmm. thinking that, like, there's going to be anything cheery about it. No, it's sad. <laughs> yeah, It really is. If you, if you really look back throughout the whole film, I don't think there is any comical elements. No. Or, like, it's, it's just this... Not intentionally, it's anyway. It's kind of like a... Brutal, somber tone, like, the entire time. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, man, how much can a guy go through in a short time? Like, half, mm -hmm. well, he less than half a year. Well, he out in that one scene where he's like, you son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also gets cut off from, like, sobbing, too. Mm. Like, he's mm -hmm. in his bed, sobbing, oh, yeah. and then that's the noises happen, and just boom. Scene, yeah, sure. it cuts him right out of that. It takes him right out of that moment. I ain't got no time for crying around here. <laughs> spooky shit happening yeah, right. but no I mean, it's still yeah it's heartfelt and it makes you feel those and that's what I appreciate about films like this too it's not afraid to make you feel you know I think anybody who's gone through a tragedy regardless of its magnitude can sympathize to some extent with this character so that alone makes you want to watch the story mm -hmm. have we figured out next time no we're back in, the, in these murky waters but I almost want to say the others just because I want to watch it now that I've seen this and I know that it's directly influenced by it, but we're not going to be that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to figure that out. Donnie, we're so glad you came back on again. Dude, thanks yeah, for thanks coming for over, man. It's always fun having you over. Yeah, I'm, I got way too high again. That's okay. I mean, we do that. We're, <laughs> that's what we do from week to week. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm Absolutely. That we got to do a, an episode on such a killer film that... Like, 
I don't know. It's just always been there for me for a while. So yeah, and fucking a. Well, I, I know a while. Ago, I think. I mean, after we did Tombs of the Blind Dead, I think you told me like, "Yo, you guys have, do the Changeling, have me back on." And I'm like, "Well, that means we have to do the Changeling to have Donnie back <laughs> exactly. on." So hell yeah, for sure. <clears throat> it, it's actually been kind of on the plate for a while. We were just waiting yeah. for the holidays to get over because shit got crazy and we didn't record for a little bit. You know, and that's kind of the interesting <laughs> thing too. I think throughout our catalogs, like we don't necessarily always have to hit the big ones in successions. Like we. We'll get around to them. Like I said, this is a, a seminal film, but it took us nearly 250 episodes to get into it, but we'll get there. We promise. Yeah. But we got to figure out what we're going to get to next time. It'll be something fun. And then we got uh, ideas coming up for the upcoming holiday and all that good shit. So until then, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. Not going to give you all those ats. So, with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>